Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the very first Arscast of 2017. That's right, it's a brand new year. A clean slate, a fresh start, a bowl of pasta that's been licked clean by the dog or something. It is a brand new year, though. You're full of good intentions, going to work harder going to be more productive, going to be a better person, going to get fit, going to stay fit, going to do that less, going to do that more. All of these things, January things, first few days of January things. And then it's like, ah, can't be arsed with any of that. But look, I hope if you have made a New Year's resolution that it, uh, you stick with it because people make them for good reasons, don't they? It's true. Last year, I completely failed in mine. Only somebody reminded me on Twitter the other day. They said, how did your New Year's resolution go last year? And I said, "Uh, I'm not sure because I can't remember what it was. But he reminded me of it. And it was to eat more grapes. I had fewer grapes last year than in any other year in my life, I would say. I wouldn't necessarily say my grape consumption itself went down. But I was quite specific about eating grapes and not consuming grapes in their in their liquid form, you know, when they come out of a nice bottle with a, with a cork in them. So I've failed miserably, like Arsenal in the first 70 minutes against Bournemouth the other night miserably. That's how bad it was, and that's why I've pretty much decided no, no New Year's resolutions. I don't think so, apart from, you know, just to keep my, my desk tidy. I really like it when my desk is tidy. It's all like there and everything looks good. And you you look at your desk and you go, I could sit down there and I could work really hard. Look, everything's tidy and neat and there isn't papers everywhere and there aren't notebooks and post-its and sellotape dispensers and bottles of water and all. Maybe that's my New Year's. Just keep a tidier desk because I feel you can do better work when you've got a tidy desk. That could be just me. Maybe I'm alone in the tidy desk syndrome thing, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I tidied it yesterday, and it's already kind of kind of messy. I don't know how I do it. I look at it clean and go, this is just simple. Just don't put loads of stuff on it. And then I'll just go, oh, I'll put that there for a second. And then I'll do, do this, and then some post comes in. You open the post, you put... Terrible. Anyway, anyway, tidy desk issues aside, uh, it's been... <sighs> An interesting week, I think you would say, from a footballing point of view. We've ended up closing the gap 
on Chelsea by a point, only a single point. But in doing so, we played really dishearteningly badly for 70 minutes against Bournemouth, staged a, a mighty comeback, which should have left you, from a footballing point of view, feel quite good. I think that was the thing about the first 70 minutes. It made you feel so bad that you just couldn't quite enjoy coming back from 3-0 down to get a point in a game. I mean, it looked like we weren't going to get anything. It looked like it could have been like Southampton away. Do you remember? Um, maybe it was uh, last Christmas, I think, St. Stephen's Day, Boxing Day. We went there and we got beaten 4-0. We played in much the same way as we did against Bournemouth, and it looked like we were going to get that kind of a beating. You know, it was it was dreadful. And all of a sudden, you, you spark into life, you score three goals, and you're there going, well... um, what the f- what the fuck? Why couldn't you do that in the first part of the game? Fuckers. Save us all the hassle. So it was weird. You know, on the one hand, you should be delighted that you've got something from a game. But on the other, you're looking at it as two points dropped in a title race that isn't over by any stretch of the imagination, but in which there's very little margin for error. And Bournemouth was one of those games I think we, we should have taken three points from. I think when you look at what we did in the last 20 minutes and the way that we conceded the goals that we did, you would have to say that that's a team that we should beat. So um, so weird and strange and, you know, as I said, disheartening and disappointing and and everything else. And we're down into fifth, but we're a point closer to Chelsea. So I suppose your outlook on that is, are we... Are we capable of hauling back eight points on Chelsea? Is that something that we should be targeting? I think, of course, we should. I don't know if we're capable of it. I'm not sure I put a great deal of money on it. Or should you be more unhappy now because Tottenham have gone ahead of us? The thing is, though, we're only a point worse off than this stage last year. We've, uh, we've scored more goals. And this time last year, we were top of the table. I know all the other big teams weren't around. There was crazy shit going on last season, of course, but I don't know. It's um, it's it's a strange, weird kind of season, but it looks very much like it's going to be a complete scrap. Uh, toe-to-toe, all of the top six, Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Chelsea are going to just slug it out for this title. And when you consider our record in some of those games, those big games against the big teams, you wouldn't necessarily be hugely confident. But look, football is full of surprises. We saw that against Bournemouth. 3-0 down, Olivier Giroud, two assists and a goal. And I I just couldn't see any way that we were going to get something from that game the way we were playing. Could not see it. And that's what I mean by football being surprising. So what we need... I think, is the last 20 minutes against Bournemouth for the rest of the season in every game. That kind of, uh, that kind of productivity and efficiency would uh, serve us very well indeed. So look, uh, just about today's show, uh, in a moment I'm going to talk to Adrian Clark, who presents the breakdown, former Arsenal player, of course, who presents the breakdown on Arsenal.com. We'll be chatting to him about the midweek game, uh, about uh, Alexis Sanchez and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then a little bit later on, I'm going to be chatting to a chap called Colm McMullen. And uh, if you don't know who he is, I'll tell you about that. 
after we've uh, spoken to Adrian. So look, let's get on with the show. Uh, and as I said, I'm delighted to welcome to the Arscast, uh, Adrian Clark. Hi there. Hello, Andrew. How are you, mate? I'm good. So let's start with what was a... A remarkable game, I guess, with with a bit of hindsight now that some of the frustration has died down. Uh, when you step back and look at it, um, it was a, a crazy game. Arsenal 3-0 down against Bournemouth and staged what looked like a hugely unlikely comeback uh, to, to equal it up at, at 3-3. Um, given the events that's got, that have transpired elsewhere, I mean, could this... Could this prove to be a valuable point or am I, you know, searching for a silver lining where there isn't necessarily one? Uh, I think we're all trying to search for silver linings. Um, <laughs> look, it could be. I think psychologically, it definitely helped the squad to go. Look, I, I think it's been really underplayed, actually. In you know, when people have reflected on this game, Arsenal were three 0 down with twenty minutes to, to play, mm. and they came back to three three. That it, what went before was disappointing. It was a, it was a poor performance, sloppy defensively, um, inexplicably so, really. Um, but the players didn't give up on it. Uh, they showed great character, good spirit, professionalism, because a lot a lot of teams, at 3-0, the chins would hit the floor mm. and it'd be game over. So there are positives to be drawn from it. And, and obviously, it's not the first time Arsenal have come back from, from you know, a big deficit this season. So there are definite positives. But, yeah, what will worry um, the manager is is what happened, to, you know, in the, in the first hour of that game, which... Mm. Yeah, which was way below par, really, and, and and that is concerning. The it was the second game in forty eight hours. Um, as a former player yourself, how how difficult is it to yeah. to play two games in such a short period of time? It's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, you, you if you, I'm just trying to think about when I played on a Saturday and a Monday, which was a rare occasion. But yeah, your legs would be aching before the game. No mm. doubt about that. I mean, <laughs> these days there are so many masses available and you can really look after yourself a lot better than we could back in the day uh, where lactic acid was a, a constant problem. So so the players uh, are well looked after. But yeah, there is fatigue and that definitely... The Bournemouth had an extra day's rest, of course. Um, but, but you can't really use that as an excuse because in this particular game, Arsenal got stronger as it went along. So it, fatigue is often in the mind as much as the legs. So it, it felt to me as if Arsenal, in the first hour of that game, felt tired psychologically and maybe didn't want to extend themselves overly, i.e. they wanted to win, but win without overexerting themselves. And, and that's mm. a dangerous game to play. Um, it wouldn't have been a conscious thing. It would have been subconscious. Would, would the manager's be- comments before the game about how you know he has to... He has to look at the fixture schedule and how difficult the fixture schedule. Would that have played a part in any way into their thinking, or is that just? I don't know. Well, it was a difficult fixture on mm. on paper, so it isn't one that they would have taken lightly. That's for sure. Um, I just think psychologically, you think you're knackered before the game's kicked off. It's like oh, I've hardly recovered from the other game. Here we go again. Mm. Um, I want to win, but I'm not going to. Maybe I won't push myself to the maximum. Um, because nobody wants to blow up at half time, but <laughs> the situation needed the players to dig deep. And actually, when they did dig deep, we, we saw what they actually had physically. And, and that, I think, was another plus of that game. The fitness levels, 
are clearly very good. Yeah. Because they, they were all over Bournemouth um, towards the end of that game. Um, it wasn't long that they had the man advantage. So, so yeah, that that is something to cling on to. I mean, you look at you look at Chelsea, for example. People were talking about Chelsea in the build-up to their game against Tottenham on Wednesday night, and how the, the fixtures have been very kind to them. They had four days of rest between games, and this was going to be a big advantage. And of course, they ended up losing. And Arsenal managed to take something from from the Bournemouth game. But uh, like you say, the first the first seventy minutes were were pretty disappointing. Um, but but perhaps uh, I'm not saying that Arsenal played well in any way, but the the issues were very much avoidable, weren't they? The first goal, the yeah. second goal as well, um, what was particularly mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Hector Bellerin's been great, hasn't he? He's been brilliant. But yeah, he had an off night. Clearly, yeah, his positioning um, for that first goal was wasn't good, and then he he tried to make up for it, dived in. So yeah, that that was that was poor on his part really the, the second goal was it was a counter-attack it it stemmed from a, a, a an overconfident pass really in the middle it, it, uh, I think it was Elneny tried uh, not Elneny um, I think it was Mustafi to Coquelin was it Mustafi to Coquelin it was a unnecessarily sort of fiddly pass mm. put him in they break away and again Granite Xhaka if he had his go again he would have just put the brakes on and, and shown Fraser down the line it's mm. definitely avoidable and the last goal was slack in the build up where, where we allowed Bournemouth to turn defence to attack too quickly um, but but yeah Hector Bayer in, yeah, in my view just he needed to expect the shoulder barge from Fraser and, and just deal with it just kick the ball out and um, again if he'd had the chance another time he, he would do exactly that so, so yeah it, it they were, they were, you know, they were bad goals to give away. I think the, yeah, the, just the mindset of the players was just was, was just below par in this particular game. They weren't sharp enough mentally, and when you come up against a team as busy as Bournemouth, you can easily come unstuck. I mean, it must be said. I don't know who whether you've watched the breakdown yet or not, but I did point out in 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 it that Bournemouth broke the record in terms of distance covered in the Premier League this season. Uh, 123 kilometres, which is staggering. Really, yeah. When some teams cover about 103, 104 in certain games. So Arsenal did come up against a side that ran their legs off quite literally to beat them. So um, if that, maybe that puts it into a little bit of context. Yeah, certainly. I did. They did put that stat up on, on Sky after the game and it was quite telling because it was about seven kilometres more than than Arsenal did on the night. So, um, but but, and Ars- but Arsenal's figure w- was was high by their standards, yeah. and, and, and ordinary ordinarily so. I think 115 kilometres. That's good. That's that's a that's a good high figure. So, yeah. um, so it wasn't as if they were work shy, but but they came up against a team that were just full of it basically on the night. And who I guess you would say in the last 20 minutes ran out of steam a little bit because um, the, the game obviously changed. It swung on the Alexis goal coming when it did and and the contribution of one man in particular, Olivier Giroud, uh, with two assists and a goal in those last 20 minutes, as much as anyone uh, dragged Arsenal back into to the game to get something from it. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> finding it quite hard to stomach some of the reaction to Olivier Giroud from sections of the support. I guess, in of, yeah. The, the, in, in terms of, you know, I tweeted, tweeted you know, defending him for, for celebrating uh, that goal. I can see the argument on the other side, but look, he, he, 
he's been heroic in the last few weeks. He's got the winner against West Brom, the, the, the brilliant goal against Palace. And without him, Arsenal wouldn't have got anything from that game. The two headers um, and, and the assist for Perez were, were great. Mm. So, so, yeah, I just think people should be applauding Giroud's contribution rather than trying to bury him for getting excited in the heat at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. That was my thinking on it. It's like if there's anger over something, it's completely, I won't say completely misplaced because I can, to to a certain extent, see the point. But, okay. you know, Bournemouth weren't going to kick off in a hurry just because we wanted them to. No. And And the other point is that when we did kick off again, it wasn't that we got the ball straight back and went down there. They could have. They could have scored. They came forward, and Petr Cech had to had to make a save. You know, so it just it just struck me that this was very misplaced anger. That if we were going to, oh, you know, be be crotchety about something, it should yes. be that seventy minutes on the way that the team wasn't switched on from the start. Yeah, here, here. Yeah, I'm, I fully fully agree with you on that, Andrew. Um, look, yeah, okay. In an ideal world, you'd pick the ball out of the net, sprint to the halfway line, and yeah, I can see why people are saying, you know, that's the mindset you want from the players. I do I do get that? But come on, we we were three 0 down, mm. and we pulled it back to three three in injury time. Um, I think he had a right to to get excited, and there's absolutely no way that 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 12 second celebration impacted on anything that followed yeah absolutely um one man who wasn't uh pleased at the end of the game was was alexis sanchez who was quite uh publicly demonstrative with his frustration uh, at the end of the game is is that something people should be worried about i know people will say you know he's a winner he doesn't want to uh accept anything less than the best and all those kind of things and i think we all get that and it's part of his character i don't think alexis sanchez from the time he joined has always cut a particularly happy figure on and off the pitch at arsenal you know his his frustration at times is blindingly evident yeah. um so i mean is is that just normal for a player like him or has it uh, you know, has it changed it a little bit? Has it got has it got a bit worse? And is that something that perhaps we should be worried about, given his contract situation? Yeah, I don't think it's got worse. Um, it is his character. Um, yeah, he's he's a bit of a loner. He's a bit of a lone wolf, really. He's 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 different to the other guys. He's he's just a different type of personality. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to admire about his character and about his winning mentality. Um, and I don't think it's their big deal. I really don't. I think I think the players they all know each other very well by now. Mm. And um, Alexis puts it in for the team. He's a team player. I don't like it when players are screaming and shouting at one another massively on the pitch, especially if it's more of a, a gesture for the fans rather than constructive. I, don't, I like to see constructive chats on the pitch between players. I don't mind it getting heated. Yeah. But sometimes when you wave your arms around, it's just, it sometimes feels like it's for show. So there's, there's an element of that to him. But look, he's a Latino player. That's the culture he, he, he's been brought up with. And um, yeah, I don't think it's a major issue at all. I certainly don't think it's anything to do with the contract situation. He would have just been fed up that Arsenal put themselves three goals down. And yeah, he would have thought, OK, one point's better than nothing, but but three's still disappointing. Yeah, I've not enjoyed tonight. I just want to get on the bus, go home. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, everyone's different. Um, yeah, we're all different characters. doesn't mean, by the way, that just because Alexis 
throws his gloves on the floor, storms down the tunnel. It doesn't mean he cares more than the guys that go over and clap the fans and, and, and are smiling at the final whistle. It doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. just different characters. Um, you don't get to become a professional footballer if winning doesn't mean much to you and if losing doesn't hurt. It, it means a lot to all of the players, but everyone has a different way of dealing with it. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point, you know, um, and and fans are right to expect a little something from the players at the end of the game. Imagine if imagine if all 11 players threw their gloves on the ground and stomped off down the tunnel. They'd be fucking mayhem, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You have to accept those characters as part and parcel of the squad and uh, yeah, you know. as long as they're not row, you know, as long as there's no uh, ill feeling sure. amongst the players and, and you know, I'm not an insider. I don't go to the training ground very often. Um, I, I don't think there's an issue between Alexis and the rest of the guys. I, I, he's maybe not as sociable as some of the others. Mm. Um, you know, he's he's just so obsessed with football. We all know he loves his dogs. Going home to see it, spend time with his dogs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so look, he's, he, he's he's an individual character. And sure. As long as he is a team player on the pitch and and everyone gets along and, and works together, then then it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, is there a, somehow a, a, a little bit of balance to be found? Because a guy like that on the pitch who does actually demand the absolute best from those around him can can lift those players at certain times yeah. as well, can't he? Definitely. Yeah, no, we want Alexis and we want him to be pumped up. Um, to be perfectly honest, we want a few more of the guys to to show that kind of passion. Um, because, look, we know the manager isn't confrontational. He's not the type to scream and shout. So maybe it is down to a few of the players to really get get in amongst one another on the pitch or in the dressing room and, and have words and get one another going. Um, yeah, we... we I don't mind that. You can't have 11 players screaming and shouting at one another and, <laughs> and moaning. It just gets ridiculous. But but as long as you've got a few, mm. um, and I don't, I don't, I don't for a second believe Alexis is the only one that's, that's vocal um, behind the scenes. I think there are several big characters. Um, unfortunately, there are probably one or two injured at the moment. Yeah. Um, which which may be making a difference. But, but yeah, look, they, they, yeah, I think the team spirit to be perfectly honest, it's pretty good. I think it's as good as it's been for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I think you can see that to a certain extent. And I know like the last month has been a bit, bit challenging, but I think when you look at team spirit and the mentality of a team and the desire a team has to do well, you look at some of the results that we've pulled off quite late or some of the wins or, you know, it's a team that will keep going right until the end. As frustrating as 70 minutes can be, if you can do that in the last 20 minutes, it's better than not being able to do it at all. Yeah, I fully understand the frustration, the fact, you know, the section of the fans that, you know, they're worried about it being deja vu and no progress and and the Arsenal, I think the word flaky has been used, hasn't it, in the past. I get where that criticism has come from because the performances against Everton and City were disappointing. Um, it's hard to explain. I do think that in terms of the big match mentality, there, there are improvements to be made. They've just got to be a little bit mm. uh, more focused and united and maybe aggressive in implementing their game plans in those particular matches rather than maybe playing at the same pace as they do, you know, in, in most weeks. It just Sometimes it just takes that extra bit of focus. We saw it against Chelsea. We've seen it against Manchester United last season. So the, the team are more than capable of kind of getting together, sticking to the game plan and really uh, seeing it through. We just want to see that on a consistent basis, don't we? And, and, yeah. and to be honest, that's just got to come from within, really. And we just got to hope that the players have learned from those, those disappointments at Everton and City. Because look, I think this season, how Arsenal fare 
will be decided on how they do in the five games against the big boys. It's as simple as that. I think all of them are going to swat aside most of the also rounds. It's going to come down to that mini league and and Arsenal need to need to step up and do the business in those games. All right. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it is going to take it. That's going to take a massive a massive effort. But look, nobody becomes uh, champions easily. Um, mm-hmm. Would you have any concerns just at the moment about the midfield area because Francis Coquelin is going to be out for three to four weeks mm-hmm. with a hamstring strain. Mohamed El Neni is gone to the African Cup of Nations. Santi Cazorla remains sidelined. He's far away, according to Arsene Wenger, which leaves us with just Granite Xhaka and, and Aaron Ramsey. Now, that's a partnership I've been qu- quite keen to see um, yeah. more than we have. So on that basis, I'm I'm relatively okay with, with the situation. But but uh, Aaron's hamstrings are a bit iffy, and, and Xhaka is potentially a, a discipline issue um not always i think he gets a bad rap for the most part but you know yeah. he 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 does have it in his locker you might say um so we're, we're potentially a bit short in that area uh, at this moment in time definitely yeah it's uh, it's not a lot of wriggle room is there no um, what i will say as a as an aside is that alex iwobi i think he's someone that might surprise us he, he's someone that um we might just need to change the system if, if something happens to one of those two guys. I think it will be Xhaka and Ramsey. Um, maybe Maitland-Niles might get a look in in the FA Cup. Mm. It'd be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, Xhaka and Ramsey, interested to see how it fares. What we could do, I think, if one of them gets injured, is potentially, you know, let's say, for instance, Aaron Ramsey's out. You could go with Xhaka flanked by... Iwobi and Ozil as a, as a midfield three, as a four-one-four-one type type formation. Yeah, that's something we could potentially do as an alternative. Um, so yeah, and, and we've got the Ox who we haven't seen in central midfield for a while, but he's done it before, hasn't he? So so that's a that's another thing that the manager have, has up his sleeve. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a shame because because Francis has it he's not everybody's cup of tea but he he has his value that is for sure and and in certain matches this season he's been absolutely brilliant yeah uh, so um yeah we'll, we'll miss him <laughs> it is a pity isn't it that, that jack wilshire's down at bournemouth and we can't get him back I well mean, yeah i mean yeah. It, throughout this season he, I, when he when he made the move i was thinking what are you doing what are you, you remember where you are Remember what club you're at. Remember what the what the treatment table is like, uh, and he should know as as well as anybody what it was like. And it, you know, it felt to me like Arsene Wenger was easing him into first team action. He given given him a couple of uh, substitute appearances, and I think when you look at the fixtures we played, some of the games we played between Champions League, uh, some of the cup games, uh, certainly some of the Premier League games, I think he would have got plenty of football and now we're in a, a position where he would he had a, he had a real chance to sort of establish himself as a as a big part of the Arsenal first team and it feels like it's it's going to be much harder for him to do that when he comes back next year maybe yeah i think it actually for his for his own confidence um it probably was better to uh, to go to Bournemouth to get the football because he's he's playing week in week out and he's getting the praise now everybody's loving his work down there so i think for him it's turning into a bit of a win. Okay, we don't know what's going to happen next summer, mm. but but yeah, um, from Arsenal's perspective, I, yeah, I'm just a just a bit surprised that we didn't get something in there that said, look, in an emergency, we want to call him back. You know, you can have him definitely until January, but after that, yeah, maybe we can put in a clause to to call him back in an emergency. I don't know. Maybe Bournemouth wouldn't have 
wouldn't have accepted it on those terms. But um, but yeah, if if he was to be in Arsenal's squad right now, he'd have a great shot at, at nailing down a regular spot, wouldn't he? Sure would, sure would. Very quickly, just to finish off, FA Cup this weekend, so there's no Premier League action, but it's FA Cup, Preston North End, uh, away from home, Saturday evening. The manager was talking in his press conference on Thursday about... Uh, you know how he's going to rest certain players so Ospina's going to come in he's going to rest Alexis Sanchez uh, but for the most part he doesn't have a huge amount that he can rotate because of the players we have out and, and have injured uh, how are you expecting this one to go it's not going to be easy it never is in the cup no no Preston aren't, aren't marked by any stretch of the imagination they're actually the sort of team we, that, that might cause us one or two problems if the attitude isn't right I think if the application's spot on if the players are are on it, they can win it comfortably. But if not, look, Preston are quite abrasive. They're very well organised. So at the back, you know, that's a strength for them. They they often play with three at the back, sometimes four. But they're strong down the middle. They score a lot of set pieces, um, you know, strong in the air. So we've got to be careful there. Mm. It's like it is with all these cup ties away from home. You gotta you gotta win the battle and then and then hope the the quality comes through in the end. But yeah, it's. I think this is a trickier tie than some people think it is. So, um, so yeah, we've got to be really concentrated. And, and if the team are, then it'll be fine. All right. Well, look, we'll keep fingers crossed for that and hopefully uh, we'll catch up again later in the season. Adrian Clark, thanks very much. Uh, no worries at all. See you soon. Thank you to Adrian. You can find him on Twitter at Adrian J. Clark. And, of course, he presents the breakdown on Arsenal.com, which is a great analytical look at our games after the fact, uh, wins and losses. Uh, it provides uh, some real clarity to the way we play and the performances and everything else. So do check them out. That is the breakdown on Arsenal.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right, we did touch on the uh, Giroud goal celebration thing, and I've uh, I've said pretty much all I think I need to say about it, and I've written all I need to write about it uh, between what I said on Arsblog and a piece for ESPN that you might have seen, but... Uh, in my travels during the week and on those pieces, uh, there were some comments. Some people disagreed. Some people agreed. This is the uh, incredible thing about opinion. You know, we can have differences of opinion, and I don't necessarily need to convince you of mine, and you don't have to convince me of yours. We can both exist quite happily with a difference of opinion. The world will not end because two people think differently about the same thing. So it's worth a try. 
rather than spend all day arguing about it on Twitter. But one comment uh, did catch my eye. I'm not going to say where it came from, but it was uh, it was kind of a um, it was a Facebook comment, I, I guess you would say, um, and it sort of lent itself to one of those dramatic reading type things. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure where this person exactly was coming from, but it, it did make me laugh. So, uh, so this is it. Let's do it. <clears throat> I'm not Arsenal fans, but I can't see any reason to criticize. If you think Arsenal should win, why don't you cancel the match and give Arsenal three points? Play the match because both have chance. Sport is fair. As a forward, Olivier Giroud responsible for attack, and he scored. Celebration is nature. Smile, criticize. Blackface, criticize. No goal, criticize. Score and celebration, criticize. Make me think about North Korea. Hmm. I'll admit, I I added in the mmm myself just because I felt the rest of the comment lent itself to that kind of denouement, if you like. But uh, fantastic. I think that pretty much uh, summed the whole thing up. We don't need to discuss it any further. We can just draw a line under the whole thing right now. And finally, finally, we can move on with our lives. Okay, something a little bit different on the Arsecast now. I'm delighted to welcome to the show Colin McMullen, uh, a name you're probably not familiar with, but you're probably very familiar with something that he has made, which is the Stats Zone app, which you can get for iOS and Android. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. My, my pleasure. So look, tell me, tell me this. Where did the, the app come from? Was it your brainchild? Was it something that was commissioned and you being a, a developer-y kind of guy uh, were lucky to be in the right place at the right time? Or, or how did it happen? Yeah, I, I think the, the brainchild uh, option there is probably the one to go for. So I, I actually started it quite a long time ago in, in app terms. Uh, the first version of it came out in 2010, for the World Cup. Um, I have been working at a company called Multimap as a software developer and uh, doing all kinds of stuff in online mapping. Um, that company was getting killed in a way by Google. Uh, so mm. somehow the management of the company managed to sell it to Microsoft. And you know, I stayed there working at Microsoft for a while, but uh, really wasn't enjoying it. So. I decided to quit and kind of try and do something that I was interested in and see if I could sort of make a go of it in a way. Um, and that's where the app came from. Um, so I launched it totally independently, um, bought some data from Opta for the World Cup, which uh, cost me a penny or two. Yeah, I can um, imagine. <laughs> and then, you know, was kind of just uh, trying to find its way in, in the app store, seeing if I could make it commercially viable, um, which I field with independently. Mm. Um, so, you know, doing that for the World Cup in 2010 and then in the following season for the Champions League, um, it became pretty clear that wasn't going to be sustainable for me. Um, so luckily enough, in kind of 2011, um, we got together with 442 um, and decided to partner on the app uh, to release it under their brand. Uh, so I licensed the app to them and we released it at that stage just for the Premier League. Mm. Um, and since then, it's continued and each year we've kind of grown it. We've added competitions. We've now done the Android app, as you say. Sure. Uh, there's a web version of it. 
and you know that's kind of grown and grown and this season we've just launched the the ipad version for the first time so right you know it's been kind of remarkable that it's kind of continued for so long in a way but sure. i still think it's got plenty of legs and, and just for people who don't necessarily know what this is, StatZone is an app where you can get uh, detailed team and player stats from every Premier League game, for every Premier League club. You know, so I, I use it obviously from an Arsenal point of view. So you can go in during a game, after a game, you've got all the stats, passes, tackles, clearances, goals, assists, all, all that kind of stuff. So it is kind of invaluable, I have to say, for, for me certainly who is uh, writing about football uh, every single day. It's great to have that that kind of information there and so freely available. And I think that's something that's, um, I guess, a new enough development. Uh, some of this data would have been there, obviously, for football clubs and Opta have become this, I guess, uh, behemoth in terms of the, the sort of information that they can provide over every match. But I think now that it's available to anybody who... Uh, is The app is free, is it, or is it... Yeah, it's it is totally free. free to yeah. use. So anybody that can, that can go on the Google Play Store or the iOS Store can download this app and check out the stats. Um, and I think it's, it is... I'm not, not saying we're moving in a completely new direction, but certainly there is much more openness to the use of d- data and information in how we view and how we talk about football these days. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting because where the idea of the app actually came from was from my own kind of experience watching football probably about kind of 10 plus years ago and back then uh, for Champions League matches and it, they, they still do this UEFA on their website published these PDFs that have you know loads of stats about the match they're really really hidden on the UEFA website uh, but you can go in I think they're on their press kits or something like this mm. but you know anybody can download them um, so you know there you go kind of Past completion rates, you got uh, past combinations, um, you know, obviously things like shots on target and tackles and interceptions. And, you know, around that time as well, there was the Guardian chalkboard, which some people will remember, mm. which is kind of um, only available post match. So whenever I was looking at those, I kind of thought, you know, I knew about the data that was available from Opta, I knew it was available live. Um, you know, we saw kind of where this was going in terms of. Um, people using uh, smartphones, so iOS or Android, and it was, you know, it just made sense to say, okay, let's take this data and make it available to people live during the match uh, so that you can really go in in depth and look at, you know, each team, each player, what their particular actions are. So, you know, again, everything from shots and passes to the attacking events like. Uh, a player's take-ons or their crosses, mm. th- their defensive actions like tackles and interceptions. Um, and yeah, you know, kind of opening that up in a way to a, a, a bigger audience than, you know, the people who would only get access to that in clubs or if you worked at Sky or BBC or something. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's great that now anybody can really uh, go and pick up this data and, you know, start to analyse it themselves. Yeah, I mean, are you still in some ways, I won't say fighting, but I think there is um, still, to some extent, a resistance to this kind of information and this kind of data uh, being used. Um, you, you hear people talk all the time, well, stats don't tell you everything, 
but stats is nobody's ever claimed that stats tell you everything you know there there is there does appear exactly. to be that resistance but it does it it can inform what you've seen or in some cases i know that i've had i've had matches where i'm watching it and i'm going god he was a bit careless wasn't he on the on the ball and and you're sort of looking to do player ratings or something like that and you're going well was he actually careless on the ball i'll go back and i'll have a look and you discover that he only maybe misplaced three passes out of 60 in the entire game. But be, be, because they came, let's say, at a certain point of the game or or what happened after they misplaced the pass was significant, that it can in some ways color the impression that you have of a player's performance. So um, it, I guess it's trying to inform people that, OK, look, these stats aren't here to tell you everything. But when you look at a game with your own eyes and then use these, it can round out your view or perhaps even even change it to a certain extent yeah I, I think that's absolutely true I mean um, you know you, you wrote about the app uh, on our blog the other day and I mm. think you captured it brilliantly in terms of um, you know talking about the, the nuance that there is to a performance and you know the best way that we have to judge at the minute is to use kind of our own personal experience of what we see in a match um, and kind of our expectations around that uh, with the stats or data um, to kind of, I guess, confirm or challenge that opinion in a way uh, so that, you know, you can kind of have a more holistic view of uh, what happened in the match uh, rather than just kind of your selective memory. Mm. Um, And, you know, I don't think anybody can claim to really have an attention span of 90 minutes that they're going to pick up every little detail. Um, So, you know, especially when, when, when you hear the likes of Wenger in a press conference saying that, you know, he looked at uh, the stats after the match and he was surprised to see something. Um, you know, I, I think we can all kind of fall into that mm. bucket. Um, but I, I think more broadly, um, you know, th- this isn't something that has been accepted by everybody, as you say. Um, but I think that's also the influence of kind of, you know, the internet challenging mainstream media um, where, it, you know, it used to be that, you know, your choice of what to consume and how to consume something was very limited by, mm. you know, just a, a couple of options. Whereas now you can really personalize um, kind of your own experience. So while you still watch the match on, on Sky or BT, for instance, uh, you might not watch the coverage. You know, like what I would do personally is I would watch... Um, the, the pre-match press conference on the Arsenal website yeah. uh, rather than listening to the pundits. I, I'm, um, I'm exactly the same. I don't, I don't watch uh, pre-match punditry. I don't watch um, half-time punditry unless there's absolutely something that I really want to see, whether it's something brilliant or something contentious. I, I try to avoid it as much as possible because I feel to a certain extent like the... I, I hate to use the word narrative, but the narrative of the game is driven by what you're hearing. You know, so you can talk to somebody, let's say, who was who was at a game and somebody who's watched the game on the television and the impression that they both have is completely different. And and the thing that strikes me is that, you know, uh, a co-commentator could just say, uh, I don't know, let's use Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, for, an, for example, and he could just put, say something like, well, I, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is having a terrible game or he's really struggling down that right-hand side. And that becomes embedded in people's minds, whether or not that's necessarily true, because it's only just one guy's subjective opinion, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think now having you know access to this data and 
using a tool like StatZone gives you the option to say, actually, I'm going to decide what, what I think about this myself rather than just kind of falling into that narrative that you mm. um, kind of point out there. I think we see that very often, you know, the the kind of example that, you know, I, I would kind of pick out from recent weeks is something like the performance of Ozil against Man City, um, you know, which was kind of widely discussed and, you know, picked apart on social media in a way. Mm. Um, and, you know, before you had access to this sort of data, it would kind of be a, an open and shut case to be, you know, he, he was lazy, he didn't contribute, Um but whenever you kind of go into stat zone and you take a look at his performance, um, and you know you can compare that then against other matches where, you know, you could say that he played well. So in the Man City match, for instance, uh, he received 49 passes, um, and because we have access as well to the location of each of those passes, we can see where they took place on the pitch, uh, and it's clear there that. He wasn't receiving the ball in the final third or in areas that, you know, you would want him to um, compared to something like, you know, the Chelsea match earlier in the season yeah. where he received 76 passes and almost all of those were in the opposition half um, and most of them, you know, in, in the attacking third. So, you know, whenever you look at his output then in each of those matches um, against Man City, he only completed 10 passes in the attacking third versus against Chelsea where he completed 39. So, you know, you can you can take that and then you can say, okay, well, what is it about his performance that we should look at here? And for me, you know, looking at that, what I take from it is that the rest of the team weren't able to get him on the ball in the areas that he can do his best work. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, you know, some kind of personal feeling of his own. Um, and then kind of go into other things like, you know, one of the things that I noticed during the match against Man City was just how often the Czech was kicking, kicking the ball along. You know, there was no playing out from the back at all. Um, and I looked into that and stats on and saw that he made 38 long passes in that match, Czech did, mm. uh, which is the most of any match this season. So, you know, it kind of makes you question, was that part of the game plan? Sure. Were Man City preventing, um, you know, the defence from uh, building out from, from the back? And, you know, then what effect did kind of check kicking the ball long have on Ozil getting on the ball, on the ball in good areas? Uh, yeah, I mean, it really does. Get, like I said, it gives you a rounded view or at least it, it can point to other issues as well as uh, as well as the ones that have been highlighted. You know, the, the truth lying somewhere in between. So, I mean, in terms, just uh, finally, in terms of the app itself and, and the features, I mean, pretty much everything you'd want is in there. But are there things that we might see added in, in the future? Um, one of the things that always struck me was that uh, in terms of goalkeepers, there's no stat for saves. Yeah, I mean, essentially for that, you look at the opposition's shots on target mm. um, as, as opposed to, I suppose, looking at the goalkeeper and, and pulling that out. I think goalkeeper stats in general is something that, you know, isn't very well catered for. And, you know, th there probably is uh, some, some good work to do in that area. Um, fr from my point of view on, on the kind of bigger picture of, uh, you know, where the stats could go, you know, the, the idea of the... Of, of stats on and the kind of design of the app is that, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not intending to tell you what to think. It's, it's there as a tool to give you access to this, to kind of, you know, uh, broaden your own opinion. Um, so 
pretty much everything in, in the app is just the raw match data. It's, you know, the, the, the passes, the shots, for you to go in and, and do the, the analysis yourself. But I think where, you know, that could definitely be uh, kind of taken to the next level is then looking at phases of play and sequences. Uh, mm. So that's something that, you know, I, I've done a bit of work on. And But, you know, I, I don't really want to push it down a road of making it uh, something that, you know, is more of something that uh, I've kind of lost my, my tree in there. No, I, I know what you're saying, that sort of sometimes, <laughs> sometimes less is more, that you're not you're not adding so many bells and whistles that people can't figure out exactly what it is they're using the app for in the first place. Yeah, and, you know, as well, it is intended to cater for the more casual use um, as well as the, the, the real in-depth um, analysis of, of individual players or, or of the team. So, you know, kind of balancing that uh, simplicity um, but also the depth uh, to let people who, who want to go into that level uh, to be able to do that is, is very important to me. All right. Well, listen, um, first off, thanks very much indeed for making it because it's a tremendously uh, handy app and tool to have um, if you're writing about football all the time. For people who don't know about the app, uh, you can get it on iOS. You can get it on Android. There's a web version. There's uh, an iPad version. It's called Stats Zone in uh, association with 442. Uh, sounds like they're, they're coming for you there, Colm. So we leave it there. Thanks a million. <laughs> thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed to Colm. Uh, the app is called Stats Zone, and you can find it on iOS. You can find it on Android, and you can get it for iPad as well. Um, it really is fantastic. It gives you so much information about uh, individual players. It gives you information about games, performances, and it does, um, certainly from my point of view, it's a, it's a fantastic tool to have when you're uh, writing a blog, writing a website about Arsenal. To have that kind of information at your fingertips is is brilliant. And if you're, if you're a person with an interest in stats, um, this is definitely something that you should add to your your phone, your device, whatever it is uh, that you uh, that you use. Uh, so it's called StatZone. Do check it out from the uh, Google Play Store, the App Store, and uh, I guess, yeah, I guess that's all the places you can get it. If this sounds a little bit muddled right now, it's because uh, I got up this morning. It's now just after 7 o'clock in the morning, and I got up this morning to, to just put the final touches on the Arsecast to do the mix down and everything else. My computer crashed overnight, and uh, the final bit of the Arsecast that I recorded uh, about uh, the Preston game and everything else was gone. The whole thing was gone. I thought the whole thing was like saved somehow, or for some reason, it wasn't. Um, so that's why this bit is sounding a little bit muddled, because I've got to do it again. And I can't remember what exactly I was saying. I was talking about the Preston game in the FA Cup. Obviously, we're playing them tomorrow evening uh, at Deepdale, and I think it's going to be a more tricky game than people think. You know, they're in the top half of the championship, so it's not like we're playing a team from League One or Le- League Two or the Conference or something like that. This is a decent side, and we are going to make changes. Arsene Wenger already said he's going to be without Lauren Koscielny, who's got some thigh problems. There's a injury doubt over Lucas Perez. There's uh, Alexis Sanchez. He's going to be rested. Uh, what else is going to happen? You look at maybe Hector Bellerin, who carried a knock into the Bournemouth game.
game, could he be rested? Are we going to change things around at the centre of defence? Uh, clearly, someone's going to have to come in uh, for, for Koscielny. Is Rob Holding going to get a game? We've only got two fit central midfield players as well. Can he risk both Aaron Ramsey and Granite Xhaka in this particular game? It is the FA Cup and it is a trophy and it's one we should uh, take seriously, one we obviously have taken very seriously in the past. But I do think that with the kind of team that we're going to put out, which is going to be, I won't say weakened, but you would also say it's going to be far from our uh, strongest eleven. Whether or not it's going to be capable of of uh, winning this game as easily as we might like, I think uh, if you've watched football and if you've watched Arsenal long enough down the years, you will know that the third round of the FA Cup is more than capable of throwing up a few surprises. And if we're not switched on, if we uh, if we play in any way like we did in the first 70 minutes against Bournemouth, we are going to have a real fight on our hands. So uh, fingers crossed uh, we don't do that. Fingers crossed we do uh, get the win because I have to say I love the FA Cup. I know some people look at it as a, a poor relation of sorts, but look, uh, for me, the FA Cup is a great competition and it's one uh, I want to see us do really well in. Um, given it is uh, just after seven this morning and I've got plenty of things to do, including writing a blog and everything else, I'm going to leave it here. But just to remind you that myself and James will be here on Monday, of course. We'll be looking back at the Preston game and then looking ahead to what we're going to do in the Premier League next weekend when we face Swansea and everything else that happens in between. So join us for the Arsecast Extra then. I'll be back with another Arsecast next Friday. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope the Arsenal can contribute to that in the small way that they do uh, by, you know, winning a football match. That would be great. So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. told you about celebrating this is not the time or the place to celebrate do you hear me do you hear me yes dad but it's my birthday and i'm only four well i'm none of your back chat son take your present off the table unwrap it and run straight back to your room when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I'm like a good little boy. Yes, Dad. Fine, can. What did you say? Nothing.